This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Eward is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Power through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you on the internet. Don't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen in Ballard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Salk. Hello! They'll be back tomorrow. We still have a little bit of a change here. Hope everyone's having a happy... Ha- See, that's what I'm talking about, Brady. <laughs> Words, they don't work. <laughs> Hope everyone's having a happy Tuesday. It's still early for us. Mike Lefko, Brady Henderson in with you. Morris here as well, but uh, Salk and Brock will be back tomorrow. We're going to carry you through the show, though. A lot of NFL talk coming your way. A lot going on in the NFL. Yeah. All of a sudden... It's like training camp's here next week, and then news starts happening. Contracts have not been signed. They have been signed. Schedule things happening. Uniform notes, uniform releases coming up. So almost like you, Brady, where you went on vacation, you timed that break, you knew nothing was happening, and now everyone's dialing back in, and the steady news stream starts to pick up. Yep, and I don't think anything in the NFL with regards to the how they schedule off-season events, off-season deadlines. I don't think anything is accidental. And I think that they have, you know, arbitrarily set this franchise tag deadline for, you know, in that sort of six-week gap between the end of minicamp uh, and the start of training camp when there's literally nothing else going on in the NFL. NFL loves nothing more than to constantly be in the news cycle. You never go more than, what, three, four weeks without something major, some sort of milepost event uh, in the offseason, whether it's you know free agency or, or the combine before free agency, uh, and then free agency, and then you know the draft. And the then schedule release. The schedule That's release. become an event. Right. They yep. do that. Yeah, you're right. They and do that so well. OTAs, minicamp. Like the NFL is never more than a couple weeks from some sort of something happening. Uh, and and this is another case, and and this is an especially I think newsworthy uh, franchise tag deadline, just because um, you know you don't always see franchise tag deals. Like a lot of times when a guy gets tagged, he ends up playing on that tag. But it's especially notable because there's three running backs, and it's leading to this interesting conversation about uh, you know not necessarily a new conversation, but a renewed conversation about the value of that position and three tagged running backs and no long-term deals for any of them. Yeah. So yesterday was that deadline. If you had tagged a player, that was the deadline to sign them to a long-term deal. Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard and Josh Jacobs and Josh Jacobs, the league leader in rushing last year. Yeah. Saquon Barkley, who is probably the biggest superstar on the giants. I mean, Daniel Jones, you've committed to because he is a quarterback and that position is so valuable, but you have three big name guys. None of them, get a long-term deal, and this coming on the heels of the Vikings releasing Dalvin Cook, who still hasn't been signed. So these are marquee names out there not getting that long-term stability, and then you had multiple high-profile running backs chiming in. Twitter has become a great way to express your uh, unfiltered thoughts for everyone, for us, for athletes, for anyone in the world, and you saw that. Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, and Christian McCaffrey yesterday all expressed their dismay and frustration about what's going on right now with running backs. Yeah, and, and give those guys credit for sticking up for each other. I, I don't know what good that's going to do. I don't know if they were doing anything other than venting. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to change you know, any position uh, of the people who are actually deciding on this. And by the way, it's not reporters. It's not media people who are deciding not to pay running backs. So don't come at us uh, with with all the grief. It, it's the fact that teams 
uh, are just really reluctant to pay these guys big money on their second contracts because I think unlike or I should say more so than any other position, you know, typically the best years for running backs are the years that teams have them under, you know, cheap club control while they're on their rookie deal. And, you know, at other positions, guys, you know, really are hitting their stride and are, are still ascending by the end of their rookie deal. And so it's a lot easier for teams to to make that big financial commitment knowing that, okay, this guy's best years are still ahead of him and he is still an ascending player. Uh, it's different with running backs just because the wear and tear that those guys take, that the pounding that they take on almost every play, it's just different than it is at, at pretty much any other position. And so you start to see them wear down, uh, you know, shortly after, you know, the time that they would be getting that second contract. And that's why you see teams are, are uh, especially this year, reluctant to pay those guys. And look, some of the guys that did get big money contracts, didn't really work out for the team. You know, Christian McCaffrey got that massive deal uh, from the Panthers a few years ago, and and they got rid of him. You know, not long after that, because the injuries started to pile up. Um, Ezekiel Elliott. If the Cowboys had to do that deal all over again, I'm not sure if they would do it. So a lot of these guys that end up getting big money, good for them. You know, they earned it, but uh, they don't see the end of that contract just because, like, maybe probably more so with other positions. Uh, the hits and the pounding and the injuries start to pile up earlier than they do uh, typically at other spots. So you're saying Matt Miller is not to blame. Don't blame Matt Miller. Because he tweeted out, and it did not go over well with a couple other running backs, including Austin Eckler. Matt Miller tweeted out, number one, draft a running back. Number two, play the running back, dot, 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 if he's good. Franchise tag the running back one time in caps. And then he goes, ellipsis again, number one, draft a running back. Running yeah. backs did not take kindly to that yesterday. No, no, they didn't. And, uh, you know, like the running backs are sticking up for each other. I'm going to stick up for my teammate, Matt Miller. Like he, he is basically expressing the uh, the strategy that as he's saying that's what he would do. That's what that's what you're seeing teams. Other teams are doing. And that's how they see it. Just because, um, you know, the other part of it is that the, the, the franchise tag number. Uh, for running backs is a lot more palatable than it is at other positions just because that that position you know doesn't get paid like quarterback it doesn't get paid like wide receiver or edge rusher uh, or cornerback you know the other you know premium positions that you think of in the NFL so a lot of times for teams the franchise tag is not really a great option because it's a, it's a one-year deal so you can't spread out the cap hits and it's a massive number like to franchise tag a wide receiver yeah, you're talking what? What is it? North of twenty-five million dollars. So twenty-six, twenty-seven million dollars, whatever that number is, that's all counting on your salary cap in one year. You know, whereas if you do a long-term deal, you you can spread that out, and maybe that first-year cap hit is something like six, seven, eight million dollars. Um, with the franchise tag, it's all happening one year, and that's why you see it. The teams are generally reluctant to use it. The Seahawks have only used it, what, once in 13 years? Twice twice in 13 years because they used it on Frank Clark and then traded him. Uh, but at running back, that number is only, what, $11, $12 million. So it, it's a decent number, but it's not anywhere near like the other premium positions. And so um, I think Matt Miller is kind of expressing the strategy that a lot of teams take, which is that, you know, you can franchise tag them and kind of see how it goes. But, you know, it's, it's not as... Uh, I would say penal or like that that cap number is not as unwieldy as it is at other positions. So do they have any leverage here? I mean, you said it was probably just venting. You do have the highest profile running backs in football all weighing in, all supporting their position. But 
it, it seems like there's no real recourse. I mean, there's nothing they can really do here, and that's unfortunate, but I don't see it changing, really. No, I mean, it, it, when you talk about leverage here, like the only leverage that I think any player has in this situation, um, and this is not specific to running backs, but it's do you want to sit out the season? Like I, I think the playbook for these guys is going to be um, they're not going to sign the franchise tender, which mean which basically allows them to um, stay away from the team during training camp. Now it's not technically a holdout because a holdout is when you're under contract and you're not showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys, because they are assigned the franchise tender, if they don't sign it, they're not under contract, which means there's no penalty for them for not showing up during training camp. So I think I would imagine that that's going to be the playbook for these guys is to not sign the tender, uh, not show up for training camps, which means they're not going to be subject to fines. And then they'll show up uh, you know, a week a week or so before the season starts. They'll sign the tender and they'll say, OK, I'm here. Let's let's go. Now, the risk in that, Mike, is that now you're coming into a season cold or, you know, yeah. not not as, you know, ready physically as you would be if you had just gone through training camp. And then you're risking an injury because you didn't have that normal buildup. And, you know, it's sort of, as you said during the break, it's kind of the vicious cycle of, you know, injury risk is always more prevalent with these guys, at least anecdotally, at least it seems like there is because of the position they play. And now you're talking about, you know, with that playbook, which I imagine these guys are all going to follow, uh, maybe that injury risk is even greater because they didn't have that normal ramp up. We'll talk about this uh, a lot more with uh, Jeremy Fowler, who will join us at 945, and Bucky Brooks from NFL.com and NFL Network at 830. But there is one thing that the Seahawks announced that is very big news and very exciting that will happen tomorrow and maybe even a little bit later today. That'll come up next. This is the Brock and Salk Show. Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson here on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. The Mariners got off to a good start, getting the series off on the right note against the Twins with a 7-6 win, and it was headlined by Eugenio Suarez's two-run homer in the seventh. Now deals. Swinging a high fly ball, towering shot, way back and gone! Home run, Eugenio! to Edgar's porch and a knockout shot of the Twins tonight in the seventh inning. A two-run bomb. It's seven to three Mariners. Well, it turns out they uh, needed every one of those after a three-run homer by the Twins in the ninth. The Mariners hold on to win seven to six. Also some good news on the Mariners broadcasters front because Mike Blowers returned to the TV booth and Rick Riz gave an update on our sister station Cairo FM on the Gian Ursula show on uh, how he's feeling after a pretty scary ATV accident. All of a sudden I wasn't in the uh, side by side anymore. I came out and hit my head and banged up my neck and back pretty good. I suffered a Broken vertebrae in my neck and two bro- broken vertebrae in my back, a fractured rib, you know, pretty gash on my head. But I've been, I've been better. But I'm, I'm recovering. I'm doing great. Uh, I went to a spine specialist. I went, Nick got me to the hospital right away, as fast as he could, from Blood Pass to Swedish and uh, Isabel. And they got me cleaned up, and I went home, and then uh, I saw a spine specialist a couple of days ago. And he took a look at my x-rays and MRI. And as soon as he walked in the room, he said, Mr. Riz, you're a lucky man. But the good news is that you don't need surgery. So I'm so grateful 
Yeah, hope to hear him back on the airwaves as soon as possible, but certainly want to make sure he's all right and feeling better. Brady, we've been talking about this, man. ATVs, just scary things happen when you ride one of those. Yeah, just, you hear about accidents all the time. Obviously, the Seahawks dealt with a pretty scary one a few years ago with Malik McDowell. Um, you read about other instances of athletes getting hurt on ATVs, so really scary situation. Glad that Rick is is doing okay. Like I said earlier, nicest guy I've met in this you know, 12, 13 years I've been in the sports media industry. Have not met a nicer person in this industry than Rick Riz, so uh, best wishes to him. Here's the second thing you need to know. Big news for the Seahawks happening tomorrow morning, and we have a very, very specific time about when we're going to see the new throwback uniforms 8.32 a.m. 8.32. 8.32. Not 8.30. 8.32. Yeah, there's there's obviously some significance to that, which I'm I, very curious I was trying to figure about. that out also. I was like, I don't I don't get the significance of 8.32. Maybe there's none. Uh, if, if you think there is significance, or maybe you have a reason why, please text in on the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. I think it's more of they want people to settle in by 8.30. But, uh, yeah, those extra two minutes eight, are going to make a big difference. Yeah. Uh, what are you excited to see about these? I mean, we know what they're going to look like because it's just a throwback, but a modernized version. Do you think there'll be slight changes? Maybe just the updated materials look for yeah. how they're going to well, these, be I mean, these, seen? These aren't going to be like the Russell athletic you know, ones with the <laughs> yeah. huge mesh and the baggy sleeves. Uh, so they're 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 gonna look a little different. It's Nike making them. So there's um, like you said earlier, there's there's sure to be some sort of modern tweak to them. I wonder um, if the sort of if maybe there's a new pant color. Like you know they used to wear the the gray. So for these you know era of throwbacks, they used to always wear the gray pants. Maybe there's a, a white pant or some blue pant. I don't know what it's gonna be. Uh, but the fact that they are unveiling it suggest that there is going to be something some noticeable difference to them and maybe it's a different pant color maybe it's sort of a more subtle tweak on the the jersey itself but i'm i'm excited to see what it looks like because those are um i mean they're the i think they're the best throwback in the nfl uh and it's a long time coming i don't know a lot of fans have been clamoring for this to happen before this year but there's certain issues including that the nfl had this helmet rule so not happening till this year, but it's a long time coming. I'm excited to see what they look like. Yeah, I'm just excited for the helmet. I mean, I know yeah. you get the whole uniform picture, but the helmet completes the ensemble. Oh, yeah. So I'm excited to see that nice silver again yeah. out there. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, not to mention all the merchandise they're going to get. So, I mean, maybe that's why. They're like, all right, 832, the site goes live. I'm sure there's some special website set up, and then you'll have time to get your wallets ready, start frantically searching for all that gear, and... The NFL, we, we've talked about this, right? They just they find ways to make things events and to make money oh, yeah. with throwbacks and with, with new gear and, and things like that. When we've seen other sports copy that with the Mariners and their City Connect uniforms, but yeah, you're going to get uh, a ton of new purchases and merchandise on a thing that has already existed for a while, but an updated version of it. Yeah, I, I like a, I like a nice quarter zip. I don't know if you have preferred article of clothing that you oh, might be looking like at that's like the Manning Brothers they're all about the quarter zips yeah. right mine probably they aren't as fancy I mean I'm sure they're rocking some like Brooks Brothers or some yeah. some nice polo quarter zips I'm thinking you know more of just the Nike or, or Under Armour a good go to yeah for golf oh, those are mm-hmm. really good the quarter zip um, you know you, you don't have to worry about like yeah, I, I, I like wearing a vest but sometimes it gets a little bulky you know yeah. so 
Uh, I do like a good quarter zip. Not as much as Eli Manning, but yeah, I do look like a good quarter zip. It's an all-weather wear. It's perfect. Yeah. But yeah, the final thing you need to know, uh, we talked about it a little bit at the top of the hour. Prominent running backs around the league weighing in on their frustration because uh, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, and Tony Pollard, none of them agreed to long-term deals with their respective teams after the deadline to do so came and went yesterday. So they're going to play the season on a franchise tag. And as Brady was saying, they're likely going to hold out for training camp, pop back in towards the start of the season. Uh, one more thing you need to know, Shohei Otani. He hit his MLB leading 35th home run of the season, which tied the game in the seventh against the Yankees. The Angels then walked off the Yankees in the 10th and the Rangers came back to beat the ALA East leading Rays three to two. They scored on a wild pitch. All right. There was a massive, comprehensive, very, very thorough look at the NFL in every single position. Jerry, Jeremy Fowler compiled this list throughout the season or throughout the offseason rankings, feedback from scouts, players, everyone involved with the league. That list is now complete. Every position has been ranked. Brady, you had an interesting thought on what it means for the Seahawks in relation to how they're going to be perceived as contenders in the NFC. We'll get into that coming up next. It is the Brock and Salk Show. Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson filling in here on Seattle Sports and seattlesports.com. This hour of the Brock and Salk Show is powered by Star Rentals, preferred supplier to the West's best contractors. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our listeners have done it, Brady. They have cracked the mystery. Maybe. Maybe. But it's as good of an explanation as any. Uh, I am slightly terrified slash in awe of how much our listeners know. Because someone texted in, 206 texted in. We were wondering, we were asking, okay, why are the Seahawks unveiling these throwbacks at 832? That's very specific. There has to be some kind of reasoning for 832. And 206 texted in, 832 is the number of steps up the space needle. And Who's Google, walking up Google the verification space needle, says, yes, it's there. 832 steps. Who is walking up the space needle? That's what I want to know. Don't they do some kind of, they do some step climb. They do oh, a little race. Yeah. yeah, they do that thing. So hopefully yeah. that's why they know that or have done that. Right. I don't know if that's the exact reason because does this mean the Seahawks are doing something tied into climbing all those steps and then they're unveiling the jersey at the top of the space needle? But I'm going to go with that reasoning. Yeah, I can't imagine there's suddenly going to be a big space needle like prominently featured on the jersey. Uh, it. I mean, if so, hopefully it's like very subtle. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine they would go so far as to like introduce a whole new sort of logo on a throwback jersey. That just wouldn't make sense. I I, I agree with your other theory that uh, maybe it's that they're just going to announce they're they're going to unveil them at the space deal. But you know, maybe the space deal has nothing to do with this, and the two hundred six is. I mean, maybe they're right about the A thirty two, but maybe there's no connection. I'm there. digging into that theory though. Mora, what if they make Brock climb all eight hundred and thirty two steps? Oh, he would love it. So we'll have Wyman and Brock, guys who actually wore those yeah. uniforms. Uh, These are the Brock Heward era Seahawks throwbacks. And Brock comes Wyman. to work yeah. in like brags that he lunged for three miles. Like, I, yeah, I just tried to see if I could go an extra mile. I kept lunging and lunging and. Uh, yeah, so he would probably enjoy that. We do have a good topic to talk about, but yeah, more on that thing with Brock because he does embrace his like family wall sit time. Oh yeah, it's it's a family <laughs> thing, right? They're like, yeah, we were doing our family wall sits the other day for a good thirty minutes to an hour. It's like, wait, what? You guys all just hang out and wall sit together? The family that wall sits together stays together. That's the, <laughs> the saying, I think. I think so as well. Something that, like that. probably as much as you know, eight thirty two 
being the number of steps up the Space Needle relating to the Seahawks jerseys. So we'll see. They they did held, hold their draft party there. They held the first round of the drafts up at the Space Needle. Yeah. Maybe they're all in on the Space Needle now this offseason. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe, Mike, it has absolutely nothing to do with the Space <laughs> it Needle. It probably has nothing to do with it. If it does, though, uh, kudos to the 206 who texted in. We're going to go with that as the comparison. Uh, we do want to get into this uh, ESPN positional rankings about the Seahawks. They have now concluded. The final list came out today, the wide receivers. And this was the only position group that saw a Seahawk make the top 10. So out of every single position group that they ranked, and I know, Morris, someone asked us, are they doing special teams? They are not, unfortunately. I did go back and check afterwards. And no punters, no place kickers. Sorry about that. But out of all the, what, 11, I think, that they did... Receivers today, DK Metcalf came in at number eight. Tyler Lockett was receiving votes. So no one else was in the top 10. So Brady, when you look at this and you look at the Seahawks as a team that we think can build its way back up to being a contender, well, when you don't have any guys ranked in the top 10, how does that compare to a team like the Niners who they're chasing, who seem to be loaded in that category? Yeah, that, that was, I think, my biggest takeaway from this whole series that, that Jeremy does every year. And, and kudos to Jeremy, who we're going to talk to later in the show, uh, for putting this together every year. Like I said earlier, it, it's the most, you know, this, this type of list, I think, is the, the most comprehensive. It's the best, you know, gauge, uh, best way of ranking players because it's, these aren't Jeremy's rankings. This is not Jeremy ranking these players 1 to 10. This is Jeremy talking to people in the league, whether it's scouts who get paid to watch and evaluate football players for a living, coaches who are there, uh, you know, coaching these guys and players uh, in the league. And so um, this is, I think, as as reliable of a list as you're going to find in terms of ranking NFL players. And the biggest takeaway for me was, my gosh, the 49ers are loaded, still loaded. We knew that they were loaded last year. They won 11 games. They won the NFC West. They uh, were maybe a Brock Purdy elbow injury in the NFC championship game away from going back to the Super Bowl. Um, a fantastic roster that is still really loaded. And, you know, so again, the, the format was, uh, and Jeremy, again, is pulling all these people in the NFL, scouts, coaches, players, and it's it's based on the votes that those people in the league give him. It's a 1-10 to 10 ranking at every position group. And the 49ers, so the position groups are off-ball linebacker, defensive tackle, edge, cornerback, safety, tight end, running back, offensive tackle, uh, interior offensive line, you know, guard center were lumped together as interior offensive line, and then quarterback and wide receiver. So of those position groups, 49ers had eight players in the top ten. And of those eight players, six of them were in the top five. Okay, so... Uh, Fred Warner was the number one inside linebacker. Nick Bosa, the number one edge player. George Kittle, the number two tight end. Christian McCaffrey, the number two running back. Trent Williams, the number one left tackle. So six players in the top five, eight players in the top ten, compared to the Seahawks who had no players in the top five and just the one player, DK Metcalf, in the top ten. So, you know, that was, I think, really eye-opening to me and look the 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 gap between these two teams talent wise was pretty evident last season they played three times 49ers won all three times combined score in those three games mike 89 to 43 okay so the 49ers won those three games by an average of what 15 points 15 points i've learned to never try to do math on the radio yeah i even good on you i even i even did it beforehand yeah Yeah, and it was still (laughs) i still had to think about it but um yeah i mean two touchdowns per game 
and and then some. So the the gap between these teams was pretty obvious last year. I think the Seahawks, with the offseason that they've had, I think they've done a really nice job of narrowing that gap with the moves that they made, signing Draymond Jones uh, to a, a big deal for them, a massive deal. You just have not seen them spend that kind of money in free agency. Uh, you know, short up, I think their defensive line, I think that defensive line is going to be a lot more talented than it was last year with better scheme fits. So I think they, they have done well to address their biggest deficiency in addition to, you know, the, the draft that they had uh, signing, you know, or drafting the best receiver in the draft, arguably the best cornerback in the draft, Devin Witherspoon. So they have done a nice job of, 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 you know, closing uh, that talent gap. But this list from Jeremy really puts into perspective, like still just how loaded the 49ers are. I think the question becomes, Okay, the 49ers probably 1 to 53 still have a, a better roster than Seattle, maybe even a much better roster. But what do we know is the most important position in football? It's quarterback. I think the Seahawks still have a, an edge there, maybe even a pretty big edge, especially, you know, considering that Brock Purdy is coming off that elbow injury and, you know, he was an undrafted rookie or sorry, he was the the last pick in the draft last year, uh, Mr. Irrelevant. So, I think it's fair to wonder, you know, especially coming off the injury, uh, and it's not even throwing yet. They're not even practicing yet. You know what what he's going to look like in year two, and I just wonder how much quarterback play could maybe be an equalizer for the Seahawks and can make up, you know, those other, you know, the other areas where they are where they don't stack up against the 49ers. Now, any other position, like if you were so much better than the 49ers at at one other position, you would say that that's not enough. But quarterback is the most important position, and so maybe that can. Maybe that can be something of an equalizer. Yeah, this is a team sport. Yeah, This is a sport that requires balance and depth. I mean, injuries just wreck teams throughout the season. The, the grind, the, the wear and tear of a long NFL season. So for the Seahawks, in trying to close that gap, last year was the, the unexpected, okay, now they're on the upswing. They're ascending again. This year it's about trying to chase down that top team like you were mentioning. Can them being good in a lot of areas and shoring up the weaknesses be enough to significantly close the gap where it is kind of a close race with the 49ers this year? Yeah, I, mean, I think the Seahawks, their roster is is really good. And even if it lacks the you know top five guys at certain positions, um, I think it's the strength of the roster is the depth across the board. And I think safety and just really just secondary in general is probably the best example of that. Um you know, you've got guys who who may not start on that team, uh, who are really good players. Like Mike Jackson, who I know we're going to talk about later in the show. Like he might be their third cornerback. So you know, that's you can debate whether that's a starter or not. It's, he's not maybe not technically starting a game, but still playing quite a bit. But not technically a starter, and, and he's a pretty good player. He was maybe their most standout guy during the spring. Um, you know, Julian Love, depending on you know when Jamal Adams gets back, you know he might be sort of that third safety. Um, and might not technically be a starter, but that, that's a really good player. So they've got spots like that where you've just got really good depth. And I went and counted, you know, all the different players on the 49ers and the Seahawks who were re- at least received votes in this whole deal. And I think there was 11 apiece. Obviously, the 49ers had way more guys who were way higher up those lists. Uh, but the Seahawks had 11 players who either got a top 10 vote, there was only one of those, or sorry, who landed in the top 10, or only one of those at DK Metcalf. Um, they had five players who 
were an honorable mention. So if you're an honorable mention on this list, that means you're getting several votes, several top 10 votes, just not enough to land in the final top 10. And then they had five players who were listed as also receiving votes. So for a total of 11 players, that was the same number as San Francisco. Again, San Francisco just had way more guys in the top 10 and especially at the very top, you know, in the top five. Yeah, one point of clarification, because we are seeing a couple of texts about the bias that inherently would exist. And I don't think people realize just the true comprehensive nature of how this was put together. So Jeremy Fowler will join us at 945. But uh, one 206 text specifically said players and coaches don't know as well as scouts. Well, these rankings, these composites were also from scouts. So each kind of ranking list has a, a little precursor introductory paragraph from Jeremy Fowler. And in here he says the people that voted on this, they were league execs, coaches, scouts, and players, and then Jeremy and whoever helped him compile this, they went through, they made calls, they followed up to fully vet and make this process. So, yes, every list, every ranking, this is the season for it. We were talking about the slow six weeks between the NFL things of mini camp and training camp. Lists are meant to generate discussion as we're doing, but this one feels like a more balanced look compared to just one guy saying, all right, here's my top ten for the season. You know, yeah. yeah, these are my top 10 running backs for the year. These are my top 10 quarterbacks of the year. That's meant to generate debate. Sure. This is an attempt and a thoroughly comprehensive attempt to make the best look projection wise at talent levels going into the season. And again, like we were kind of getting into because a good team can perhaps win out over elite talent, but in a few areas, just uh, it's kind of a nice starting point. Certainly has no impact. You're not going to say, oh, well, might as well not play the season because the Niners have all this top-end talent. But it's a great way to kind of stack up and look as a measuring stick heading into the year. And while the Seahawks might have, what, the third or fourth best roster in the NFC, it just shows, okay, the team to beat this year might be the 49ers. And you know what? You might not win the division, but that could be the only team you might have to knock off in the NFC Championship before you get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and and just going back to the the credibility of the list itself, again, these aren't Jeremy's rankings. These are people he's talking to in the league. Look, any one person might have a certain blind spot, right? You know, uh, whatever it may be. Maybe there's a bias against a player. Maybe they haven't seen that player as much as others. But Jeremy is talking to so many people that, you know, any single bias or blind spot it, it's not going to make a huge difference because it's such a, a he's talking to so many people that i think the it's going to be you know the law of large numbers whatever it is like the, there's going to be less variance in here and this is going to be i think a, the most accurate kind of list that you can come up with and yeah there, there were some surprises in terms of like omissions uh seahawks players who i thought would be in the top 10 that weren't quandre Diggs is, is the the biggest one coming off the you know multiple consecutive pro bowl seasons a guy who has you know been been in the league long enough to where he's not like you know falling he shouldn't be you know kind of falling under the radar he's not like a guy who people just haven't heard of yet so uh for as well as he's played i thought that he would have been in the top 10 he was honorable mention so that means several of the people that jeremy was talking to gave him top 10 votes just not enough um and then Tariq woolen i think was another one that um, I thought would have a chance to crack the top 10, but he might be one of those players where 
evaluators, players, coaches just haven't seen enough of him being a rookie last year. So he's he's a guy that I would think is going to be on the list next year. And you say what? Ken Walker, Bobby Wagner, and Noah Fant also got those honorable mentions. So that's a, a good consensus of voters saying, okay, they were top 10 in, in my eyes. Uh, Geno Smith and Tyler Lockett got receiving votes. So they got one or two, but not enough to kind of crack that list. So yeah, we'll get into that more at uh, 945. Jeremy Fowler, ESPN senior NFL writer who helped compile that. Will join us to talk through all that my first question will be why are you so biased in making yeah, this list jeremy, i can't believe you I put so and so you're biased jeremy in making that list uh, no but he hopefully will give some more insight as well uh, right now though it's time for blue 88 this is brock and Sox blue 88 blue 88 blue 88 we take you to the field as brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can now, here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Brock Heward on his way to climbing all 832 steps up the Space Needle to help uh, unveil those uniforms. It's going to take him a couple days. So we're going to have Brady weigh in on Blue 88 as well. And question number one for you, Brady, which two Seahawks rookies are you most interested in watching when training camp begins? Yeah, Derek Hall is one of them. And uh, I think the other one for me is going to be the first first round pick Devin Witherspoon and the reason is because training camp is a lot different than the spring practices so OTAs and minicamp because the contact rules are different in the spring OTAs and minicamp those are non-contact practices they're not full padded practices Um, and so a lot of times you won't see defensive backs making a play on a ball uh, because the rules are are very strict and the Seahawks have actually lost off-season practices because of violations of that no contact rule where in the NFL's eyes and they have access to all the tape and everything, uh, there was too much contact. So this is really in the spring. It's really not a setting that is conducive to defensive backs standing out because a lot of times when the ball is in the air and it's the moment of truth where you would normally see a defensive back try to make a play on the ball, uh, they're sort of easing up because they don't want to break that no contact rule. In training camp, all bets are off. It's full contact. Now, you're typically not seeing them, you know, go completely live like they would in a game, but you're seeing defensive backs start to be more aggressive and make plays on the ball. Uh, And I'm interested to see what Devin Witherspoon's ball skills look like now that he's in that setting where he can be aggressive, where he's unleashed. And, you know, by by the same token, I'm interested to see what Derek Hall looks like now that they're going to be doing that one-on-one pass rush drill. That's the most fascinating part of training camp every year. And it's the thing that as a reporter – you are always going, you know, when that drill is going on, the pass rush, it's one-on-one, it's, you know, t- offensive tackles versus edge rushers, and then it's interior offensive linemen, you know, guards and centers versus the defensive tackles. They're going one-on-one in a pass rush drill. When that drill's going on, you go stop what you're doing, you go to whatever other part of the field you're at, and you watch that drill because it really gives you a sense of, how are the pass blockers doing? How are the pass rushers doing? What kind of moves do they have? How much power do they have? What you know, different moves do they have? Um, and you just don't – they don't do that drill during the spring because they're not allowed to. And so this is, I think, going to be the first real indication of what kind of player Derek Hall could be for them in year one. Now, it was Zach Charbonnet, too, I think, for the same reason. Because of those contact rules, you don't see them do pass protection drills. So I'm going to watch him. But the two guys I really want to see – uh, are, are Derek Hall and Devin Witherspoon just because this is a setting where they are finally going to be able to cut it loose. All right, number two. Brady, which Seahawk that didn't make uh, these top tens that we were just talking about 
in ESPN's positional rankings, which one not in there this year could be and is likely to be in there next year? I think the most likely is Tariq Woolen, and I sort of went back and forth on this because you can make a case for Ken Walker, who did not make the list. I think he was an honorable mention. And there's there's a few running backs who are in the top ten who were older guys that you know Dalvin Cook. And I say older guys like they're you know eight years younger than me. Right. Uh, but in terms of running backs, again with a short shelf life, you know you wonder if you know Derek Henry's twenty nine is maybe some of those older running backs phase out uh, and there's room for a younger guy like Ken Walker. But I think the guy who's most likely to make it in the top ten next year who didn't make it this year is Tariq Woolen. He was another honorable mention guy. Um, six interceptions as a rookie sort of came out of nowhere as a rookie fifth round pick to, to really be this phenomenal player for them. And, you know, for as good as he was, you just think about there is so much more room for him to grow when you consider that he's only been playing cornerback for a few years. Remember, he, he started at uh, at Utah as the Texas San Antonio. Sorry, again, early, early right? Yeah. Can't spit it out. You, you heard me start the seven o'clock hour with I don't know what. I said so. Yeah, that that school is also a mouthful. UTSA, we'll call it that for short. Uh, remember, he started there as a wide receiver. So think of all the the nuance to playing that position that um, you're still learning as a guy who's only been doing it for a few years. And then you combine that with the athletic ability. And you know, I think what he did last year, a lot of that was athletic ability. There was a lot of just natural instincts taking over and aggressiveness. I remember talking to Richard Sherman for a story I wrote late in the season about Woolen, and I asked him, you know, what percentage of the plays that he's making are just pure athletic ability versus understanding of the position? And he said, you know, it's starting to become a little bit more of, of both of them. And he pointed to the interception uh, that he had against New Orleans, uh, I think in October or whenever it was, that that was not only that play took a lot of speed and quickness and athletic ability, took a lot of aggressiveness and trusting your gut and you know Sherman was talking about how there is sort of a, a, a real you know skill that a cornerbacks have about when they when it comes time to make a play is having the trust in yourself to go for it and to not worry about getting beat and there's obviously a fine line there because you don't want to get beat but he was talking about just the aggressiveness that it took on that play to trust what he saw and to really go for it and um, you talk about the, the that sort of instinct, uh, the physical ability, and growing into what is still a new position for him. I think there's still a lot of upside for Tariq Woolen. I think he's going to be in the top 10 next year. Number three. Okay, we don't have the big dominant position battle like we did last year where quarterback just took over everything. And that was really the main headline of the entire training camp. But what will be the one position battle that you're watching during this year's training camp? Yeah, and it's not it's not like a classic position battle um, because Devin Witherspoon, I think, is going to be starting one way or another. He's going to be starting on the outside one way or another opposite Tariq Woolen. But it was interesting during the spring to see the Seahawks give him a few looks at Nickelback. And and I think part of that was Kobe Bryant, who uh, handled that position, I think, well last year, was out with, I believe, a toe injury that sidelined him. And so, you know, Kobe Bryant had a strong rookie season, but it wasn't so good that he is going to be locked into that Nickelback role again. And I think that's why they were taking a look at Devin Witherspoon there and, um, so I think that's going to be something of a battle. And you know, remember, the Seahawks have sort of done that before where go back to 2017, Shaquille Griffin's rookie season. Remember, he began as sort of the number three cornerback. So he was when they were in base, 
uh, he was not on the field. And then when they went to nickel, they moved Jeremy Lane inside to the nickel back, and they, they brought Shaquille Griffin in on the outside. Now, Griffin eventually became a starter, but that was a good example of sort of a, a way you can rotate those guys. And I wonder if, if, if Devin Witherspoon does prove to be a better option at Nickelback than Kobe Bryant or whoever else they, they might have there. Um, then I wonder if you could see him, see them do something similar where you start Devin Witherspoon outside uh, on early downs opposite Wollen. And then when it goes into nickel situations, you move Witherspoon inside and put somebody like Mike Jackson on the outside. And that would make a lot of sense uh, if Mike Jackson continues to play as well as he did during the spring when he was, I think, the, the standout guy of OTAs in minicamp. And so um, I think it's not a traditional battle, certainly not like what they had last year at quarterback, but it is going to be an interesting position to watch because uh, there is some interesting flexibility that they could have there, and it would be another way to get a really aggressive player in Witherspoon uh, at a spot where he could really take advantage of that aggressiveness. Things happen so fast uh, inside player. You know, we talked about instincts with Woolen. Players really have to trust their instincts, and they have to go, and they have to... Uh, be playmakers there, and I think that could be a really fun spot for her. Well, Brady, you have an article up on ESPN.com about this very position group, and we're going to dive into that a little bit more next because the strength of the Seahawks figures to be in the back half, in the secondary, and we're going to kind of dive in and see just how much better it could be this year and what it could mean for the overall nature of the defense. Uh, That's coming up at 8 o'clock. This is the Brock and Salk Show. It's Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson in with you today here on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.